0: in the book of Revelation that we're going to continue this morning. On a certain level, it's not a Christmas message. Uh, We're going to have another service tonight where we'll be more overtly about Christmas. But on another level, what we're talking about this morning gives a unexpectedly large view of why Christmas and what God was all about. So, Revelation 21. Scripture begins with a wedding. God created Adam and Eve. He placed Adam first in the garden. Garden is good. Creation is good. God said that man is very good. He gives unto Adam a good work to do in subduing the garden and, and naming the animals. But then as Adam worked These unexpected words from God. And these are unexpected words. Because this is well before sin. Before anything bad had come into the world. And after God had said, it is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. Then God says, it is not good. In a world without sin. God says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will create a helper fit. For him. And so God creates the woman specifically for Adam. She is like Adam, different from all the rest of creation. She's like him, and yet she's not like him. She is his complement, she is that helper fit for him. And he cries out in delight when he sees her. At last! At last! At last, the one that, that I've been made for. At last, this longing for companionship, there's someone here. At last, there can be this intimate relationship fulfilled by her. His, his words in Scripture are, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The first words we hear a human speak in the Bible is love poetry about the arrival of his wife. That's profound. That's amazing. The wedding then of that happy first man to that happy first woman under the happy gaze of God himself occurs and it becomes the pattern for all time, for all of history, as the next verse goes on to say, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the Scriptures begin with a wedding. We're in Revelation 21 this morning, which is on the opposite end of the book. We're at the end of the book of Revelation. We're at the end of Scripture itself. God is busy making all things new. He's revealing what eternity is going to look like for his people. And what we're going to see this morning is that the scriptures which begin with a wedding also end with a wedding. They conclude this is, the, this is where scripture's been going. This is where history has been driving towards this final Wedding. We have been working our way through chapter 21. This morning we're going to look at one verse in that chapter, and it is verse 9. So follow along as I read Revelation 21, verse verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The Lamb, that is, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the one who who was slain on behalf of His people, the Lamb who is seated on the throne of heaven, uh, adored by the masses, the one who, who was alone worthy to open the seals, the one who returned and judged His enemies. That Lamb has a bride, the wife, of the Lamb. Now, what I want to do this morning is actually pull in just a few other verses from chapter 19. As we made our way through chapter 19 a few weeks ago, we passed by these verses rather quickly, and I'd like to slow down and look at them together. So, so just put your thumb in if you need to and just flip over one page, Revelation 19, and follow along. I'm going to read starting in verse 6. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. God's Word. Scripture ends with a wedding, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb that we just read about. As we've seen then, Scripture began with a wedding and it ended with a wedding. This is a love story from one end to the other. This is a, a divine romance. It, it's the pursuit of, of the divine husband after his wayward bride. From one end to the other of the book. Now, to, to really understand this, I think it is helpful to, to consider the culture in which Jesus lived. The culture out of which the Scriptures grew, which is that Jewish culture. Because that's, that's the culture of, of, uh, that the Bible itself looks to when it considers weddings. And it's rather different from our own. So when you, when you think, let, let's just take a minute and consider a, a Jewish wedding. It begins with the husband. I'm going to call him the husband, even though he's not married yet. All right? The Scripture will sometimes call him the bridegroom. But it's the, the husband-to-be. The husband-to-be makes a choice of a bride. Often in that culture, his parents and family were involved in making that choice of a bride. And, and once that choice has been made, there's an announcement made to the community, letting everybody know his intention and that he plans to be married. Then the, the future husband and the future wife, they have a ceremony. It's not the wedding ceremony. They become betrothed. It's the betrothal ceremony. It's a public ceremony where, where they commit themselves to each other. Now, in some ways, it's like engagement, and that can be helpful for us, right? Because we understand that engagement is a, is a much bigger step than just dating, right? So you, you become engaged before you become married. But betrothal was more than that. So, so when, when two people became betrothed, they were not yet fully married, but he was called husband, and she was his wife. And if at that point you didn't want to go through with the wedding, you know what you had to do? You had to get divorced to not go through with the wedding. So, and some of you, now if you just think about the Christmas story and Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed at this time. And Joseph had had decided when he didn't know who the, who's the baby was, he had decided to divorce her quietly because that was the way you didn't go through with the marriage. So there's this betrothal. Now they are husband and wife, but they're not allowed to live together yet. They're not allowed to be together yet. They, they, they move from this betrothal to now a time of preparation. Now they are each other's, but not together yet. And so the husband goes and he begins to prepare typically securing a home for the two of them to be in, maybe building the home with his own hands, maybe providing for the home that they're going to share together. The wife goes, and she begins to prepare herself for the wedding. They're both doing this preparation work, and oh yeah, there's the dowry to pay. The husband has to, and his family, pay a significant amount of money for the hand of this woman. So during this time of preparation, it's got to be joyful, right? I mean, this is happy work, right? Like he's building a house, which can be hard, I, I suppose. But on another level, he remembers why he's doing it, right? This is for her. This is so they can be together. So it's joyful, but it's that it's that kind of hopeful joy that's mingled with anticipation, but kind of sorrow. Perhaps he's in another town building that house. So They're excited, but they're not together. Not yet. Not quite. And so there's this kind of longing and groaning during that time as well. Well, finally, the wedding ceremony comes, which is a, a public ceremony in front of all where they are finally given to each other. And the man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife And the two become one flesh. And they step into the closest of all human relationships that God has given. That's a lot longer deal than we have, isn't it? This is quite a process. Let's just review. There's a choosing. There's an announcing. There's a betrothing. There's a preparing. And then there's a wedding. All of that happens every time. Well, the storyline of our Bibles is that storyline. It is a divine romance. And I want to step it through and consider those steps. There's a choosing. There's a choosing. There's a divine choice to be married. Let's start with the choice to create. God didn't have to create totally happy, totally blessed, totally fulfilled, totally loving within the persons of the one God, the Trinity. But God chose to create and having chosen to create, He chose to create towards a marriage. He didn't have to do it this way. But but He chose that that the purpose of creation would be to win for His Son a bride. And so now, I mean, these are big statements that we're saying. So, so human history is about that. It's about the, the winning of a bride for Christ. That's why creation exists, according to the plan of God. And then when God, having chosen to create, chosen to have his son pursue a bride, he then chooses the bride. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. Jesus told his disciples, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you. Throughout the storyline of the Bible, it is God going after a people and choosing them. And then as soon as he chooses them, their glad response is to choose him as well, but he is always the initiator. Throughout the Bible, you go back to Abraham. Abraham wasn't looking for God. God came looking for Abraham while Abraham was worshipping the moon. And he said, come, follow me, let's go to this land, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then of Abraham's two children, two sons, God chose Isaac, not Ishmael. And then of Isaac's two sons, God chose Jacob, And not Esau. And again and again, divine election is choosing the bride. Choosing the people of Christ. Choosing. And then number two, announcing. The Old Testament is the announcement of God's intention to marry. Can you get over what I'm saying? These are very clear themes in the Bible. And they sound amazing to talk about. It's God's intention to marry. We could go through countless scriptures on this. Let me give you two. Isaiah 54, verse 5. Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Hosea 2 19. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in steadfast love and mercy. God not only chooses a people, he announces his intent to be their husband. Your maker is your husband. I will betroth you to me. So far, so good. But we've mi- we've missed a kind of a detail in the Bible called sin. It's one of the bigger details in the Scripture, and the impact that it has on this romance whew, is uh, is profound. Over and over again, the bride chooses other lovers. If, if you go to the Old Testament and, and you consider themes, topics like idolatry, where, where God's people are worshiping idols, routinely God calls that adultery, not just idolatry. It's not just that you're worshiping another God. You are forsaking the, the covenant union that I've designed for us to have. And God calls himself a jealous God when his bride runs after other lovers. But over and over again, she turns from her husband. Over and over again, she is unfaithful. The scripture calls it adultery and prostitution. And in the version that I'm reading, whoredom. These are terrible things. And listen, it's not that the Bible calls sin whoredom so that you would feel, you know, like, whoa, my sin's really bad. It's like that. No, that's not what it is. It's not like that. It is that. Because this is a divine romance. And God's people cheat on him. Over. And over, and he just calls it what it is, when they do. And so in Hosea chapter 4, a spirit of whoredom has led them astray. They have left their God to play the whore. Hosea 5, their deeds do not permit them to return God, For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. And again in Jeremiah 3, You have played the whore with many lovers, declares the Lord. Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see, Where have you not been ravished? You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. What husband would put up with this? What man would be patient? This this wife, insistent on prostituting herself out over and over and over again. She does not discriminate. In fact, Jeremiah goes on and says, uh, and says, you know, you're not like a prostitute because... Prostitutes get paid, but you'll pay for it. So badly do you want to leave your God? So so twisted is your heart away from it. Lover after lover, whoever you can find, oh, Away with such a one. What husband would put up with this? And yet, the Divine Husband continues to pursue this wayward, would-be spouse. Which brings us to the betrothal. We've done choosing and announcing, and now that we're at betrothal. The betrothal began in Bethlehem, when the Son of God took on human flesh, that He may become like His bride. He wasn't like his bride, fully God. He became like his bride, now also fully man. And he came that he could one day take her to himself, and he came so that he could purify her because she needed it. And he taught in Matthew chapter 9. Do you remember this passage? Somebody asked, they were picking on Jesus, they were picking on the disciples, None of the disciples were fasting. All the religious leaders fasted. So they came up and they said, Hey, Jesus, why don't your people fast? And he gives this answer that just was mind-blowing. But it's true. And they fast. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. Jesus is saying, We're having the betrothal ceremony. The husband is here. Now's the time for celebration, not for mourning and fasting. That doesn't make any sense. The day's coming when I'm going to leave for a while. That's the time when my people will fast. But now's the time for celebration. He knew that he's the bridegroom. He came to be the bridegroom, and he was with his people. Then he teaches again in Matthew 22 the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gives a wedding feast for his son. Does that sound familiar? He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Because they were in love with other things. So he sends out more and more invitations and invites them to come. The bridegroom came among us And the bride wanted nothing to do with him. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so to purify her, he took the next step in the ceremony, which was to pay the dowry. And the cross is the divine dowry paid for the bride. The cross is the payment for sin. It is the purchasing of a people. It is the payment for a bride. Cross is the dowry that purchases the people of God. So, he has chosen a bride. He has announced his intent, and he came to betroth us. And now we are in the season of preparing. And I say now because I mean now, like today. Like in this room, like you and me, now we are in the season of preparing. Because though we're reading Revelation 21, it hasn't happened yet, right? We're looking ahead at that day. But today, we're in the season of preparing. And by the way, have I told you, church, you are the bride of Christ? Yours it is to be preparing for this wedding day. He is the one who has pursued you, though you and I have often prayed. So what is Christ doing during this time of preparing? This time of preparing for the wedding? Well, as the husband of the bride, he has gone to build a house for her. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you will be also. What a promise that is. Our betrothed is preparing a place for us, even now. What is the bride about? What should the bride be doing? She, too, prepares. She, too, gets ready for the wedding. And friends, she must prepare for the wedding. Because as we've seen in the Old Testament, and it is sadly still true in the New, the heart of the bride is not First, for the husband. But is offering, often wandering after other lovers. And so, so Paul warns the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Even the New Testament church, even believers, are tempted to be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So up to now we've been telling the the, the story, right? The, the, the divine romance, we've been... Walking it through. But let's, let's slow down and apply for a moment. We are the bride, friend, And our hearts are prone to wander from our husband. The hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Praise God, He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Holy Spirit, why? To make us holy, to make us more like Jesus, to sanctify us, to train us in godliness, so that we become more and more like Christ, and less and less sinful, and less and less prone to wander, and less and less defiled. Now, we are, if you're familiar with church, you're familiar with the New Testament language of, of sanctification, right? Of, of growth and godliness. It's throughout the Bible, throughout the, the New Testament. The, the Christian life is about becoming more godly. The Christian life is about the forsaking of sin. But let's, let's, let's take that language and just simply apply it to the, the divine romance that we're talking about today. The, the Christian life is about the forsaking of sin. The Christian life is about the forsaking of whoredom. It's about stopping going after other gods and other things other than Jesus Christ. What kind of a husband is Christ who would pursue us in our sin and then put up with us, having saved us, and patiently, day upon day, year upon year, sanctify us? And change us and prepare us to be his bride. And Lord, may you do so. Choosing, announcing, betrothing, preparing, wedding. We're finally ready for Revelation 21, where it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now listen, friends. Friends. If you're familiar with that bride, (laughs) you're surprised this verse is in the Bible. She made it. Whoa! She made it. There is a bride at the end of time. Glory to God. Because we know her origin. She didn't begin a bride. She began a prostitute. And we know her heart, prone to wander back and back and back. Yet here she stands, On that last day. And the angel is excited to show her off. Come here I got to show you. The bride. The wife of the Lamb. And then in Revelation 19. Look with me again at verse 7. As the congregation in heaven worships. Let us rejoice and exult. And give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Heaven is happy on this day of celebration, on this marriage supper day, on this day of the wedding. It's happy. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory. Now why? Why are they doing that? There's two things in the verse. You can see it for yourself. There are two reasons that they are rejoicing on that day. The first, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. In other words, we made it. It's here. The waiting is over. Finally, the wedding has arrived. Don't you know that in that Jewish custom, the time from choosing and and betrothing and preparing and the dowry and all of this stuff, boy, when that day finally arrives, that is a happy day. And that pales in comparison because this has been God's eternal plan for his son. There's going to be rejoicing on that day. We cannot, tongue cannot tell. Tongue cannot tell of the rejoicing on that day. So they rejoice because that day has come. But you see the second reason that they're rejoicing. Let us rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Can you believe it? (laughs) Can you believe it? I mean, if you knew the bride, you'd know this is reason for celebration. The bride actually got ready for the wedding. Glory to God. We didn't think Jesus would be able to find anyone. Because look at that. But the bride made herself ready for him. And now they're going to be together forever. And the holy ground, friends, whatever marital intimacy that is experienced as human is but the shadow of the union we will have with Christ. That's the reality. Marriage just points to it. Marriage is is not ultimate. This is ultimate. It's what marriage has always been pointing to. This kind of closeness. With who? With God. Glory to God. And the bride made herself ready. Now, what, what did that mean? Well, it tells us it was granted her to clothe herself with Fine linen, bright and pure. Fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. She is wearing white. Talk about purity restored. She's wearing white. Glory. And and, and she's clothed. The white is, is righteous deeds. Whose righteous deeds? Hers. It's the righteous deeds of the saints that she is wearing on that day. So, It's a picture of the reality that she has has walked in the good works the Lord had prepared for her to do. Those those righteous deeds, those acts of of self-denial, those choices to to love Him, to keep herself for Him, to pursue Him, to cling to Him, Those, those little steps that were made in her sanctification throughout her time of preparation right now, right here on earth. She she wears them like a wedding garment before the Lamb. She has prepared herself for Him. And so, dear church, we have a job to do. And that is to prepare our hearts for the Lord, to prepare ourselves for Him, to flee. Idolatry. And I don't mean bowing down in front of little golden things. I trust you've done that. That's not what idols look like in the West. Ask the Lord to show you what idols you are tempted to, and He will, for they are there. To turn from that, to set your heart upon the Lord, to repent of waywardness, to look to Him for holiness. To wait longingly for his return. This is the work of the bride. It's the season of preparation. It's what, it's what the bride is doing. Friend, this is what the bride is, is, should be about. Preparing for her husband. That's where we are in, in world history right now. And it is ours to do. For it clearly says the bride has made herself. Ready. So don't, don't slide out from under that, friend. This is what the work of the bride is. Make yourself ready for that divine wedding feast. Look to Christ. Those so friends, it is it is ours to prepare for the wedding. It is ours to do, but good news, but it is not ours to do alone. It's not ours to do alone, thank God. Yes, indeed. Look again at Revelation 19, verse 8. Yep, in verse 7 it says, His bride has made herself ready, but in verse 8 it says, It was granted her. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. What is this passive verb? It was granted. Well, if it was granted, there is a grantor. There is one who did the granting. And it is none other than the divine husband who has been pursuing her the entire time. He is the one who prepares the bride for himself, even to the point of death. And having done that, he's not going to stop until he's finished. It was granted her what a husband is Christ. So he, he, the husband, is not only... Preparing a place for us to dwell. But he is preparing us to dwell in that place at the same time. Glory to God. So, yes, we have work to do. And yes, this should shine a light on sin. It's just the biblical light. Shows sin for what it is. Idolatry for what it is. That's a mercy of God. Glory to God, we don't have to do this alone. But that the power to clothe ourselves is granted by the husband. The church, as we pursue growth in holiness, take heart because it is his strength and it is his power that's going to enable us. So let's look to him. Church, you have a faithful, loving husband. And he is soon returning. Be ready for him. We're celebrating Christmas tomorrow, where we look back on the betrothal. And as we look back on the betrothal, let's look ahead as well to the wedding. With that, Is surely promised and surely coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand, church. Jesus, your love for your people, is amazing. We, we stand in awe. But Lord, I, we, we experience, everyone here, <laughs> everyone here who's, whose heart is tender to the Lord. Lord, would you tenderize every heart here. But everyone here whose heart is tender <laughs> feels the conviction of this. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. So Lord, we corporately, individually, we confess, Oh, Jesus, thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. Thank you that you forgive us even when we wander from you in unfaithfulness. You are so good. And Lord, as we experience then your forgiveness afresh, may we have fresh joy joy in you because that's what you intend not that is what you intend you don't leave us in our sin but you deliver us to yourself a bride prepared how we long for that day receive our worship now as we sing together amen